Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to History of Europe, Key Battles, The Wars of the French Religion, Part 2 of 4. Last week I talked about the background to the French Wars of Religion. I touched on the state of the economy of the Kingdom of France in the late 15th and early 16th centuries, which was generally healthy, but beginning to experience some problems in the mid-16th century. Also covered was the origins of the Reformed Protestant Church and growing popularity of thinkers such as Luther and Calvin. The Kingdom of France was, at the time, perhaps the most centralised system of power in Europe, and so the attitude of the king in matters of religion was especially crucial. In 1516, Francis I had secured a deal, known as the Concordat of Bologna, whereby the French crown was granted powers over church organisation in his realm, including the right to appoint members of the clergy. He was therefore disinclined to risk disturbing an arrangement with Rome that worked well for him nor was he motivated towards a reformed church as a way of gaining independence from Rome, as were other rulers later on such as Henry VIII of England. In addition, there was an especially close relationship between church and state. The legitimacy of the French crown was more closely related to its connection with the church than was the case for other realms. At their coronation, French kings were anointed with sanctified oil, and as part of the ceremony made an explicit promise to defend the church from heresy. Hence they were referred to as the Rex Christianissimus, the most Christian king. At the same time, Francis was intellectually cursed by nature and relatively tolerant of humanism, within reason. So at first he made little attempt to stamp out new religious ideas. The French king made a prisoner of war of Charles V after the Battle of Pavia of 1525. While in captivity for the best part of the year, his mother, Louise of Savoy, took the opportunity to clamp down on any type of religious dissent and banned outright the publication of vernacular Bibles in the kingdom. When Francis returned, he adopted a more moderate policy, a decision which may have helped Lutheranism to take root in France. This changed suddenly, following the so-called Affair of the Placards. On the night of 18th of October, 1534, Protestant placards, or broadsheets, were publicly displayed in a number of towns. One of them was even put up in the King's bedchamber, in his chateau in Amboise, on the River Loire. 
organised by a band of French Protestant exiles in Switzerland. The provocative messages were a vitriolic attack on the Catholic doctrine of the Mass. They were more in tune with the message of Zwingli and Zurich than of Luther, revealing how many Protestants had grown dissatisfied with Luther's moderation and looked to more radical reformers for leadership. What all Protestants had in common was that they were evangelicals. In other words, they based their faith on the scriptures instead of on authority of the church. But their movement very quickly splintered as different groups came to interpret the Bible in different ways. The affair of the placards proved to be a turning point for royal policy. Two dozen Protestants were executed and a number of others were forced to flee the country. Most significant was the flight of the young humanist, lawyer-academic, John Calvin. In 1535, the year after the affair of the placards, Calvin lived in the Swiss city of Basel, where he devoted his time to writing a Latin textbook of evangelical faith. It was the first version of the work which has come to be known simply as the Institutes. He hoped to persuade King Francis that his followers were true Catholics, and distinguished himself from more radical Protestants, but he was unsuccessful and forced to remain in exile. In 1536, Calvin left Basel to head to Strasbourg, but a local war forced him to make a temporary halt in Geneva, a French-speaking city on the edge of the Swiss Confederation. There he saw the potential of the place for a base for evangelicals. It lay on various cross-routes across Western Europe, and was at the ideal location for infiltrating neighbouring France. Having recently won its political independence, Geneva was attracting many evangelical-minded refugees from France and Italy. Calvin quickly became the leader of these exiles and helped develop the printing industry in the city. The evangelical message was promoted within France by establishing centres of study, independent of church control, and this proved highly effective. By the early 1540s, Protestant belief had become widespread, including among many of the French nobility. In the last years of his reign, King Francis grew increasingly concerned over the movement and instigated a savage campaign of suppression. His last years were also marked by instability as rival court factions formed around each of his sons, the Dauphin Henry and his younger brother Charles. France's youngest son, Charles, died of plague in September 1545, leaving Francis with one surviving son, Henry. On the death of his father in 1547, he ascended to the throne with the title of King Henry II. The reign of Henry II is largely the story of the rivalry between different noble dynasties who competed with each other for power. The key players at this time were three families, the Guise, the Bourbons and the Montmorencies. The staunchly Catholic House of Guise was founded as a cadet branch of the House of Lorraine by Claude of Lorraine, who was granted the title of Duke as a reward for his military service to the royal family. Claude's eldest son, who was named Francis, also proved himself a very capable military commander, while his daughter, Mary of Guise, married King James V of Scotland in 1538 and was the mother of Mary, Queen of Scots.
the House of Guise favoured a close alliance between France and Scotland. They encouraged Catholicism in Scotland and its independence from English influence. The main rivals of the Guise dynasty in the 1540s were the House of Montmorency. This distinguished family had been important since the 10th century and were immensely wealthy. The other great dynasty, the Bourbons, had seen their power and influence greatly diminish as a consequence of the treason of their former head, Charles, Constable of Bourbon, described in the previous podcast on the Battle of Pavia. But they regained much of their prestige in 1548 when the new head of the family, Antoine of Bourbon, married Jeanne d'Albray, a queen of the small French principality of Navarre, which neighboured Spain. Antoine of Bourbon was the first prince of the blood, i.e. he was next in line to the throne after the sons of Henry II. His younger brother, Louis, Prince of Condé, who was responsible for the Bourbon clientele north of the Loire, was an important figure in the French wars of religion. King Henry II of France came to the throne on the 31st of March, 1547. He was reasonably conscientious and hard-working, but lacked experience, having been excluded from public affairs by his father. He therefore tended to rely heavily on the few people he trusted. Immediately after becoming king, he made major changes in the palace court. He elevated Anne de Montmorency, head of his family, to the position of duke, placing him on par with the highest in the land, and also raised the profile of the Guise family. The struggles between the court factions were reflected in France's foreign policies. Whereas Montmorency was in favour of peace between France and the Empire, the Guises had more warlike ambitions, notably in Italy, where they had dynastic interests linked with their Angevin ancestry. In the year 1552, Henry II ordered an invasion of the Holy Roman Empire, captured the city of Metz and occupied the region of Lorraine. Emperor Charles V retaliated by besieging Metz, but Duke Francis of Guise put up such a stout defence that the Emperor was forced to retreat, a humiliation which precipitated his decision to abdicate three years later. Four years later, in 1556, after Spain had invaded the Papal States, Henry II sent the Duke of Guise to Italy with an army, ostensibly to aid the Pope, but in reality to try and conquer Naples. The Duke, however, never reached Naples due to events in France. In August 1557, a Spanish army invaded northern France from the Netherlands and laid siege to the town of San Quentin. Montmorency led an army to counter the Spanish, but suffered a crushing defeat. San Quentin held out bravely for 17 days, long enough for the king to recall Guise from Italy. Seeing that the Spanish army had already retired of its own accord, he decided to launch instead a surprising attack on their ally, England. In midwinter, he marched on the last English stronghold on the continent, Calais. To the astonishment of the English, after only eight days, his forces broke through and captured the town. For Queen Mary of England, the loss of Calais was a disaster. It is said that when she heard the news, she reportedly said... Quote, when I am dead and opened, you shall find Philip, that's her husband, King Philip II of Spain, and Calais lying in my heart. Unquote. 
Later that year, in November 1558, Mary died and was succeeded by her sister Elizabeth. The capture of Calais was a great personal boost as well for King Henry II. His next foreign ambition was to conquer Piedmont as a step to arriving the Angevin claims to Naples in the interest of one of his sons. As for the Protestants, Henry's accession initially offered hope. At first he even showed signs of favouring some aspects of church reform, particularly during an intense quarrel with the Pope in 1551. However, the growing visibility of Protestantism began to alarm the king, and before it got out of control, he chose to start actively persecuting so-called heretics. This did not prevent the decision by Jean d'Albray, Queen of Navarre in 1555, to convert to Protestantism, although she did not make this public until 1560. Jean's personal conversion would prove to be a most significant event for France, although it could not have been predicted at the time that her son would go on to ascend to the French throne as King Henry IV. Her conversion also reflects the fact that Protestant ideas were beginning to infiltrate into even the highest ranks of the French nobility. It was also at this time when Protestant meetings, which had been previously been clandestine, came out into the open, leading sometimes to violent confrontations. One example was on the 4th of September 1557, when a crowd of Parisians besieged a Protestant gathering in a house in the Rue Saint-Jacques. A fight ensued, during which most Protestants, or Huguenots as they were started to become known in France, escaped. Some, however, were captured by the authorities, and six noble women were put to death by the king. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. A key event in French history occurred in April 1559, the signing of two peace treaties signed at Cateau-Cambrésis. The first, between England and France, allowed France to retain Calais for eight years, then to restore it and pay compensation for its restoration. In the end, the French kept hold of the town. The second and most important treaty was between France and Spain. Apart from an exchange of towns along France's northeastern border, the treaty was mainly concerned with Italy, where France gave up its right on everything except a few fortresses in Piedmont. The peace of Cateau-Cambrésis brought an end to the long-running conflict known as the Italian Wars, which had begun with the invasion of Italy by Charles VIII of France in 1494. It marked the beginning of French ambitions in Italy for centuries, and the beginning of a period of Spanish hegemony in Europe. But this was caused as much as anything else by an accident which happened to occur during the festivities surrounding the signing of the treaty. For a jousting tournament held in Paris on the 30th of June, to celebrate the peace, 
Henry II was horribly injured by an unlucky lance thrust and died after suffering for ten days in agony. He left a widow, Catherine de' Medici, and four sons of whom the eldest was only fifteen, young enough to be king but not old enough to be able to impose his authority. France was consequently plunged into political chaos and religious strife, which led to a series of civil wars known to history as the French Wars of Religion. Henry II had been a convinced Catholic monarch in the prime of his life. His death unsettled the government of France, even more so when his eldest son, King Francis II, died in 1560 from an ear infection after only a year on the French throne. As an aside, his death also had the incidental but historically significant effect of sending his young widow, Mary Queen of Scots, back to her native Scotland, where she sought to deal with a thriving Protestant movement. Back in France, Henry II's widow, Catherine de' Medici, found herself in a very difficult position politically. On the death of Francis II, she was appointed as regent on behalf of her second son, King Charles IX, then only ten years old, and was granted sweeping powers. She had to deal not only with rival factions in the court, but with a resurgence in, the, in support of Protestants in her kingdom. In Protestant propaganda, she was much maligned, but in truth she was a pragmatic woman whose main goals were looking after the best interests of her children, which also meant preserving the independence of the throne. While her own Catholicism was never in doubt, she was prepared to try and find a compromise with Protestants for the sake of peace. As well as the religious aspect, she had to steer the throne carefully between the interests of the powerful families. Thus, part of her motivation was to help support the Bourbon faction so they could act as a counterweight to the House of Guise. At this time occurred the first instances of Protestant iconoclasm, the destruction of images and statues in Catholic churches in the towns of Rouen and La Rochelle. The following year, mobs carried out iconoclasm in more than 20 cities and towns. In response, Catholic groups attacked Protestants in bloody reprisals in several cities around the kingdom. In March 1560, still in the reign of Francis II, the bitter rivalry between the houses of Guise and the Bourbons sparked the so-called Conspiracy of Amboise. This was an attempt by Huguenot supporters of the Bourbons to attack the royal chateau of Amboise and take control of the young King Francis I. The plotters' forces were easily defeated and dealt with harshly. Perhaps 1,200 conspirators were executed. Louis of Bourbon, Prince of Condé, was arrested on suspicion of masterminding the plot, but no evidence was found and he was eventually released. This conspiracy occurred just after Queen Catherine had attempted to find reconciliation by issuing a decree of amnesty to Protestants for those prepared to return to the Catholic fold. Afterwards, she continued to try and find a peaceful solution by attempting to bring the two sides together. She summoned Catholic and Protestant theologians to a conference, the so-called Colloquy of Poissy, on September 1561. However, no common agreement could be found, especially given that the form of Protestantism, Calvinism favoured by the French, was more radical even than that of Luther. Despite the failure of the colloquy, 
Queen Catherine continued to hope for reconciliation, which she tried to achieve by concessions. On the 17th of January, 1562, she issued the famous Edict of Saint-Germain, also known as the Edict of January. This permitted the Huguenots to hold their assemblies throughout the countryside, although forbade it within walled towns. Each concession to the Protestants only encouraged them to ask for more. Some of the more radical believers went on to vandalise church property, breaking images which they believed to be idolatrous. This enraged their Catholic neighbours. A widespread street fighting was narrowly averted in Paris, a city which remained predominantly Catholic. Despite Catherine's best efforts, both sides now prepared for confrontation. Different historians give different dates for the beginning and end of the French Wars of Religion, but the general consensus is that it lasted from March 1562 until April 1598, that is for 36 years and one month. During this time there are eight separate so-called wars, that is to say periods of more intense fighting which were separated by periods of temporary truce. Foreign powers were encouraged by both sides to become involved. While the Huguenots looked to England, the German Protestants and Dutch rebels for military and financial support, the Catholics turned to the papacy, some of the Italian states and Spain. However, all the wars were fought on French soil and involved mostly Frenchmen. The outbreak of the First French War of Religion was a culmination of a decade of extraordinary growth in French Protestantism. Damon McCulloch estimates that in 1562 there may have been two million Protestants in France, compared with a decade before, when there were only a handful of secret groups. Importantly, a number of high-ranking nobles were now among the adherents to the new faith, and they took over leadership of the movement from the local ministers and pastors. In April 1562, these nobles, led by Louis, Prince of Condé, were now calling for armed resistance against the Duke of Guise and his allies. The dark mood of the upper class is summed up by a quote from the time from the Parisian lawyer Etienne Pasquier. Quote, All one talks about now is war, and there is nothing to be feared in a state more than civil war, particularly when a king, due to his minority, does not have the power to command absolutely. If it was permitted to me to assess these events, I would tell that it was the beginning of a tragedy. End quote. Pasquier was correct that both sides were seeking to take advantage of the power vacuum at the top of government, created by the minority of the 11-year-old King Charles IX. Catherine de Medici, as regent for her son, tried hard to maintain national unity, but she was unable to prevent the crisis escalate, as both sides began to mobilise for war. The Duke of Guise formed an alliance with Anne de Montmorency and Antoine of Navarre, and in the spring of 1562 sent a large force to the royal palace of Fontainebleau, claiming to protect the king. In fact, this was more like an attempted coup in the mould of the failed conspiracy of Amboise attempted two years prior. Queen Catherine, in desperation, tried to summon Louis of Condé for protection. Condé dared not come to court and instead seized the town of Orleans, which then became the base of the Protestant forces. A number of other French towns quickly fell to the Protestants in regions where their support was strongest, in the Normandy and along the Loire Valley. Within three months they controlled numerous towns across France, especially in the centre and south of the country. 
Although many of these towns came onto the Protestant side by military conquest, many others were won over by the conversion of leading local magistrates, who were in a position to seize power even if Protestants were not a majority in their town. With the Huguenots in the ascendancy, Catherine de' Medici now had no choice but to turn to the Catholic leaders to put down the insurrections. The Duke of Guise dispatched royal forces to lay siege to the Protestant towns in the north, with the aim of breaking the Huguenot hold on the Loire and cutting communication to Condé in Orleans. There they met stubborn resistance and progress was slow. Their superiority in numbers finally proved decisive, but it was not until the late summer of 1562 before any real gains were made. Still, fighting was intense with heavy casualties on both sides, and the Catholics lost a valuable leader when Antoine of Navarre was fatally wounded at the Siege of Rouen. The Huguenots at Orleans were reinforced by 7,300 German mercenaries. They decided to march on Paris, but were held up by various sieges on the way. They turned north towards Normandy with the aim of linking up of troops promised by England but found their way blocked at the town of Dreux in the north of France. There took place the largest open battle of the First War on the 19th of December, which ended up a victory for the Catholics. They captured Condé, but this was counterbalanced by the seizing of Montmorency by the Protestant forces and the death of one of the Catholic leaders, the Marshal André. The bulk of the Protestant army managed to escape to safely, led by the young Admiral Gaspard de Coligny who was quickly becoming one of the leading figures of the Protestant cause. During the Siege of Orleans, on the 18th of February, a Protestant managed to infiltrate the Catholic army and shoot dead the Duke of Guise. With three of the principal Catholic military leaders dead, and the bulk of the Protestant stronghold in the south still going strong, an outright victory for the Catholics seemed impossible, and so negotiations began to find a peaceful settlement. Catherine de' Medici helped mediate a peace and release of Montmorency and Condé, and in March 1563 an agreement was reached by both sides, which became known as the Edict of Amboise. The new edict was similar to the agreement of the previous year. The big difference was, reflecting the new domination of the nomadity in the Huguenot movement, most of the clauses in the edict allowing toleration were targeted at higher levels of society. It did little to allow free worship for regular townspeople, who still made up the bulk of the Calvinist population in France. Thus the edict which ended the first French wars of religion set a pattern that would be repeated seven times over the next four decades, a military campaign in which neither side could defeat the other comprehensively, followed by a compromise peace that the Crown was unable to enforce. This first war also coincided with a rise in Catholic militancy at all levels in society in France, encouraged by a recently formed counter-reformation movement called the Society of Jesus. Its members, called the Jesuits, helped redevelop traditional religious groups at a local level and were fiercely anti-Protestant. My name is Card Rylett and you'll be listening to History of Europe Key Battles podcast. 
As ever, it's great to hear from you. You can write directly to me, Carl, that's C-A-R-L, at historyeurope.net. Also check out the podcast's Facebook page or its Twitter account, which is at History Europe KB, KB for Key Battles. Be great if you enjoy the podcast to be able to give a review on iTunes. And one other thing you can do is to join up on Patreon.com, where subscribers receive some extra bonus episodes and receive the regular episodes a week before. So, thank you for listening, and I hope you can join me next week for the third part of the story of the French Wars of Religion. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.